You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. We're back. Do you have a commercial break built into this one? I do. Wow, yeah. very proud of you. Good yeah, job. Thanks. I didn't have to remind you this time. Okay. But I probably what? reminded you earlier and then you probably put it in. No, I had this one put in before. And I had, because the last episode I had planned to go in. I knew I needed one, but mm-hmm. I didn't get to finish it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, <laughs> we're back. We just had, we are recording our second episode. So. Mm-hmm. Luckily for you all, though, we have um, still a lot of stuff to talk about because so much has gone on in the last uh, six weeks that... Um, oh, I hope nothing real good uh, good happens before this I episode I know, like, is. literally we're going to record today. It and always it, happens. We're going to go We're gonna go home, or I'm going to go home, we're going to turn the news on, and it's going to be like, Congress overthrown, civil <laughs> <It's>, uprising. <laughs> well, shit. And then this drops and be like, so everything's great, love mm-hmm. it. But um, something we did forget to talk about was Lindsey Graham at the airport. Mm -hmm. I don't know where he was. uh, uh, Reagan Airport. Yeah. Don't know where that's at. Probably somewhere real real known. No, that's in uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. So he lands there and he's heckled by, I mean, I don't know if you saw the video, but it was pretty, they were like, not physically attacking him, but if there was no security, they might have been physically attacking him. They're like screaming at him, traitor, this, that, and the other. So uh, I actually tweeted on our Twitter Mm-hmm. Um, a picture of a tweet he put out in 2016 of him <laughs> saying, if we nominate Trump, uh, we will ruin ourselves and we'll deserve it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this age, like, fine wine, didn't know yeah. Lindsey Graham, because there you are. I'm sure he'll be fine politically, but yeah, he had to feel real fear in that moment. And I hope he understands that that's the fear he spent, him and his allies spent so long instilling into their followers. That was all rage built in part by him. Oh, yeah. You know what, what? The thing about Lindsey Graham, this has nothing to do with him. But him what, and his little uh, ladybugs. Ladybugs, yes. <laughs> yes, we would call him Lady Graham. But the thing that I, what I hate about it is, I don't know why he's still in the closet. It's like Aaron Shock is still in the closet. Like, everybody knows you're gay. Mm-hmm. And when he, he has gay some, face, you can tell. You could tell. No, we just know he's gay because there's been so many stories. You don't have that many stories. I mean, today we're going to talk about a story that the world has confirmed that this man was almost certainly gay. Mm-hmm. And we have probably three letters to confirm that. Lindsey Graham, we have sworn testimonies from people that say, I was, I'm a young man. I was hired by Lindsey mm-hmm. Graham to fuck him. Uh, I've slept with Lindsey Graham. He's tried to hook up with me. We have several stories. We know Lindsey Graham is gay. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would really lose that much power if he came out. Honestly, he the right is so desperate to prove that they're not homophobic that they probably he might be a star. would. See, we have a gay embrace. Rep- See? Exactly. We have queer representation. We've they been doing it all would. along. We've been doing it longer than the Democrats. Yeah. You know? I don't know what it is. It but what bugs me is that people I know, but it bugs me how people are constantly mocking him for that. Like there's plenty of stuff that you can mock 
Lindsey Graham for? We have plenty of legitimate things to attack him for. Why are we trying to attack him for his sexuality? Yes, because he's in the closet. Yes, because we all know he's gay and we wish he would just say it. But that's detracting away from the things that he's actually done the that horrible are horrible. things. Mm-hmm. And he also knew he didn't. I, I don't think he ever wanted to get on that Trump train. In fact, I'm certain he didn't. He got on there because he's just such a power hungry little bitch. Yeah. And so he knew that it was that he, he should get on there. And now he knew, knows he's getting out. That's what I was saying in last episode where I didn't think that Pence bailing on Trump now at the end was that big of a deal because no, Pence, I think him being along with Trump was a bad idea. Like, of course thing. it was a bad idea, but him bailing on the end, it was actually perfect because he could claim that he stood up to him at the end. And I was put in a hard situation and I had to go along for so long, but at the end I, I really to, gave it to him. I had to work with the president of the United States, regardless of his beliefs. He was mm-hmm. the president of the United States and I was just there doing my job as the vice president along the way, making sure that anything, I was there making sure that his worst measures didn't get passed and yep. look at me. I never thought of about that. Fuck him. Which is, it appears to moderate voters Mm -hmm. and that's a horrible place because again as we're going to talk about when you're appealing to the moderates it's not good people say that they want to be in the in the middle and and it's most cases in history we do want to have a kind not neutral stance but a very balanced stance Mm -hmm. but there do come points in your history where you can't take a balanced approach you have are forced to take a very far left or very far right approach because you have to stand with your beliefs and your beliefs are so uh, diametrically opposed Mm mm-hmm Yes, uh, neutralism is not always a good thing. No, no. <laughs> um, uh, before we get too much more into politics, mental health check, how you been doing? I mean, I've been doing good, again, considering today is Inauguration Day, and considering that when nothing has happened. When this episode drops. When this episode drops, yeah, and so considering that nothing horrible has happened, I feel good and confident. I mean... We have control of the House and the Senate, which is also something we didn't talk about. The fact that Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. not only she delivered us the election, but she also delivered us the Senate. <laughs> I know you've never seen um, Game of Thrones, but do you know the meme of the old lady in the the hat that says, tell Cersei, I want her to know it was me? No. Okay, well, so basically somebody put Stacey Abrams' face on there, and it said, <laughs> tell Donald, I want him to know it was me. So if you watch Game of Thrones, you know, you're going to love that. But um, my mental health check as I've been doing really good since 2021 started yeah I will call 2020 the year my brain broke um I had a lot of mental health issues that I didn't know I had in 2020 because I was living through them but looking back I'm like holy shit I was really bad and yeah. I actually read a book by a um psychologist Carrie Redfield Jameson something like that I I don't remember I'm really bad with names but she's a bipolar um, psychiatrist and when I was reading it it was like reading a diary of my own and for a very long time I was like you know I had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder but it's an invisible illness so there's no real tracker and yeah. I was like, maybe I was just being dramatic, you know, maybe I wasn't, maybe I was just being dramatic. It's all emotions. Maybe I'm just really emotional, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then like reading that, I was like, it was like reading something that I never knew I needed. I don't know. It must've been like for you leaving the cult when you start yeah. seeing like gay things out there and you're like, what? There's other people like that. Yeah. Like it was just the most mind opening thing. And uh, since I started writing my own book, don't know if it'll ever be published or anything but it's more for me i would like to publish it even if i just end up self-publishing it um but yeah so taking from that i want to 
put something out that and something like that out in the world for other people who haven't read something mm-hmm. and who feel so like I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I'm just trying to say like mental illness is something that is so hard to accept as a diagnosis because you can't see it. Yeah. You know, I'd be like, oh, I was diagnosed as bipolar disorder, but I, that doesn't mean anything. It was just, you know, I don't need to take medicine. I, I'm fine. I don't know. It was just very eye opening for me. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I'm at with my mental health. <laughs> well, I've seen a lot of good growth in it, you know? Yeah. And, you, and like you said, you actually recognizing it because for a long time that I've known you, I know like you've admitted that you've had diagnosis, but you've always followed it with, but you know, honestly, the medicines, they made me worse or there was this mm-hmm. or, you know. And even in her book, she's like, I didn't want to take medicine. I fought so hard against medicine and blah, 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 blah. Like it was just like, it really was like reading a diary of my yeah. own thoughts and my own moods. And I don't think unless you have bipolar disorder, you understand the illness because it's entirely your depth of emotion that you can feel is entirely different from somebody without bipolar disorder. And I don't think I realized that um, prior to reading her book. Yeah. And it was just like, I don't know. I just thought I was normal, just exaggerating it, you know? <laughs> it, yeah. I, um, I started reading, I did a lot of growth in 2020 and, and real, you know, towards the end, especially, excuse me, as I creak in my chair around recognizing how much the mind control that I had been under in the cult really affected my thinking today, mm-hmm. you know, because it was very hard for me to do critical thinking. Like I want to do critical thinking and I, I've obviously slowly edged away from that, but critical thinking is not just thinking the opposite of what you believed before. And critical thinking is not just thinking passionately, passionately mm-hmm. about something, which when you're under that kind of mind control, you start to think that you start to think if I just think this passionately, then I'm right. And, and it's very hard to break that after you leave. Oh, that's how they teach you what critical thinking is. Well, they don't teach you critical that's just thinking. How they instilled. teach you how to think. Yeah. Um, but they tell you it's critical thinking. Yeah. Yeah. They tell you that you're thinking for yourself. So they tell you that you want to be here. You want to do this. And you begin to believe that you do want to do that. You're so bought in. You're so invested. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is what I want. This is what I believe. If I didn't believe this, I wouldn't feel so passionately about right. it. Like your emotions are your beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Stephen Hassan has wrote a book and is uh, called uh, Cult Mind Control. Um, he's the leading expert on cults. Mm-hmm. And I had, it had been like people have been suggesting that book to me for years. It's been out for about 10 years. And... I had kept meaning to get around to it and Samantha got it for me for my birthday last year, but I just oh, wow. hadn't had a chance to read it. And so I started reading it and it was that same thing of, um, realizing, oh my God, this is, this is why I do what I do. And this mm-hmm. is what that means. Exactly. And this is how, like, it was so eye opening. And also again, I know I'm not alone. I interact with people that grew up in my environment and similar all the time, but it was realizing that the th- the things that I'm so frustrated with myself about were things that were conditioned into me and that mm-hmm. there's hope to break it, but also recognizing that this is an issue that you have to address. Right. And that was the thing. I was like, okay, maybe this is, a, I don't know. Yeah. Like I totally get that. Like you have to understand that and move forward. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. You, you have to, you have to face it if you want to mm-hmm. address it. Right. And um, so one final thing, my work sent out like self uh, identification things to fill out Mm -hmm. and for the first time in my life I self-identified as that I have a disability wow um which I 
turned it in on the very last day that it could be submitted <laughs> because I was battling with myself. Do I submit this? Do because in the um, you know list disabilities like are you losing, missing a limb? Are you you know this? Are you half you know blind? You know mm-hmm. and all these things. And at the very bottom it says psychiatric illnesses like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, this and that. Yeah. And I was so terrified to submit that because I'm like, if I submit this piece of paper that says I have a disability, am I going to get passed over for promotions? Are they going to think I don't need to make as much money? Are they going to prevent me from, you know, doing anything? Are they going to take me off of projects? Are they going to do this and that? But then I also thought I have a real illness that I've never used it to take time off of work before, but I probably could have, and I probably should have in the past, which would have prevented me from quitting my job at CVS and things like that. Mm-hmm. I still would have quit in the end, but yeah. I quit in the middle of a, 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 a breakdown I had because of my illness. So I was like, if I want to be able to use this to take care of myself, I should submit this because otherwise they may not accept it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was a, it was a very hard internal struggle, but I think I made the right decision. Yeah, and it takes a lot of courage. I mean, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to put yourself up for um, for possible discrimination and you're going to put yourself some, in a place where you're going to probably have to be forced or you might be checked in and say, Paul, do you need to take a day? And you're going to have to admit that you might need to take a day. Right. And that's I've taken a, a day for myself. You know, like I woke up and I was like, I can't do it today. Yeah. But also I'm only limited to 40 hours of sick time a year unfortunately because of my illness i might need more than that i might need a whole month off just to deal with the insanity that's going on in my brain yeah and i've never done that before but realizing now where i'm at in my journey of self-understandance and self-acceptance that i might need that it's particularly bad in november uh so i'm gonna see how i make it through the year and um i also downloaded an app called dailyo um and every night at 9 30 it pops up on my phone and it says how was your day so i built in my own emotions because you can set your own emotions so i have everything from manic to hyperactive to um you know just stable is my baseline and then i have like depressed and danger mm-hmm. so i can kind of keep track of that and i'm watching trends in it at the end of every week it kind of gives me a graph and then monthly it gives me graphs and charts and stuff so it's really good and it takes me two minutes to fill out at the end of the day and I have that to now track myself and keep myself on track and see okay I'm trending really bad right now what can I do to fix this or do I need to take some time off or something like that that's good that's great really proud of myself I've done a lot of hard work (laughs) you have you really have and I you know we we talk about it a little bit but like we don't talk about enough you know just Mm -hmm. as your friend for a long time you've done a lot of really good work on yourself thank you it's taken me a long time the the hardest part of accepting it was the fear and stigma because like I would you know there's all these misconceptions about bipolar disorder especially if you watch tv they're just these people who are like any person who's bipolar on tv is either one they're like laughing and then all of a sudden they get pissed and they start throwing shit which is not how yeah like which is not how it works Uh um or two they're shown in like an asylum where they're like in my book i say that they are either locked strapped to a table or at the end the losing end of a taser screaming and like you know they need help and it's that is actually how it could end up for me at one point but you know um it's just like there's no representation of what it's really like and i am hoping that my book kind of even if you know only 10 people read it and those 10 people are like wow thanks for sharing that people need to know that i'm just like them you know yeah except for i get a little 
real depressed at sometimes and sometimes I get real energetic and I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> so yeah, True. just trying to uh, let other people know they're not alone. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that 2021 is better for all of us. And that, Who knows? Uh, Maybe I'll go into a manic spiral in July and start an uprising cult or something. Who knows? Not cult, <laughs> but an uprising uh, rebellion. <laughs> Maybe we'll all go into manic... Uh, Maybe we'll all go on a manic spiral. Maybe <laughs> the entire country will. And um, who knows? Mm-hmm. We're going to learn today about what happens when you don't, you know, address the issues that you're facing. When you're a neutral president exactly. or a very neutral. Um, you just you just get in there and you just don't do shit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. When you're just like, it's not a big deal. Just let everybody. I'm just here to like be a glorified babysitter and let everybody just figure it out on their own. And they're going to be fine. Yeah. So, um, as we have stated, today is Inauguration Day in America, or at least we hope that it hasn't changed between our recording and this episode airing on January 20th, 2021, or instead entered into our own version of The Handmaid's Tale. Who knows? This is really how The Handmaid's Tale... I know you haven't watched it because of, like, you'll be triggered, but this is literally, like, as they go into the back of how, like... Uh The Handmaid's Tale world was created. It was like the Capitol was overthrown. Then this happened. And it was just like, when I saw them storming the Capitol, I was like, David, pack your bags. We have to go now. (laughs) That's right. You know, I tell you what, though. If they do take over, motherfucker, right then we fight to the death. None of this. Let's wait and see what happens. Oh, no. If they take over, it's going down quick. So you got to regain control real fast. Yeah. Immediately. Finally... One of the worst presidents in America's history, and certainly the worst in our lifetime, is exiting the White House. Many people here in the States and abroad can breathe a large sigh of relief. The events of the last four years will forever leave Donald Trump stamped on lists of worst presidents ever, known for his strong hand in ripping open the growing divide in America. His actions largely mimic those of another president who oversaw the United States 160 years ago. This president has long held the top spot on the list of America's worst, but he's also charted on another list of American presidents. Not only was James Buchanan a horrendous executor-in-chief, but he was also most likely our first gay president. Born in Pennsylvania in April of 1791, James enjoyed life as the wealthiest boy in town. His father was an immigrant who came to America just a few years earlier and soon made his wealth in agriculture and real estate. The young heir went off to Dickinson College and perhaps due to his arrogance or mere young mischief was nearly expelled twice. In fact, he actually was expelled over the one winter vacation Um, But after making a pledge of good behavior to his minister, he was allowed to return to campus and graduated at the age of 18 in 1809. Buchanan then then accepted an internship in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and within five years was one of the most successful lawyers in the state. His career was briefly interrupted for a few months during the War of 1812 when he served against the British invasion of Baltimore. To his credit, he did buy himself a higher position in the military and his own and is the only president to serve as a private, a soldier of the lowest rank, military rank. Sorry, there should be a space there. Yeah, so he he's the only president that ever um, did not buy a higher position and just served, mm. was not an officer. He only yeah. served as a private. And when you were talking about storming the Capitol building, it was during the War of 1812, yep. which lasted until 1814, that we uh, was the last time we had our Capitol Isn't building. it funny that the time that we have the two worst, pre- or like the worst president and then he's serving in this yeah. war, uh, you know, <laughs> 
both times the White House was stormed. Yep, yep. During this time, James had met and courted a young woman named Anne Coleman. However, he paid her little attention and was much more focused on his work. Rumors swirled that he was only after Anne for her money, and others stated that there was someone else altogether. Coleman was aware of the rumors and perhaps had her own suspicions. Heartbroken, Anne broke off the engagement and then died abruptly in December of 19, or 1819. Every time. I'm telling you, they correct this for me. What, what are you saying? I was going to say he definitely didn't kill her. Oh, no, he didn't kill her. I don't think he did. Some claim she committed suicide. The doctor said she had hysterical convulsions. Oh, so. Sounds closer to a drug overdose. Hmm. I don't know. Who the fuck is dying of hysterical convulsions? Who came up with these diagnoses? It's just a diagnosis for women when they don't want to deal with real <laughs> issues. <laughs> they're Hysteria. Like, they're like, I think she's having a seizure, do- doctor. Oh, you mean hysterical convulsions? Women do not have seizures. They they do not have that part of the brain, you see. Exactly. They, they only- can have hysterical convulsions brought on by the hysteria of having a uterus. Exactly. That's literally probably exactly. like... Just like women faint because of hysterics. And yep. Everything they're doing is because of hysterics. It's not because they're wearing uh, corsets that literally close their lungs or anything like that. No, 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 no. no. And it's probably not the pressure of the era where, like, if you don't get married by the age of 18, then you're just going to be an old maid. And so then you just overdose on drugs because you can't deal with it. Mm -hmm. But whatever the truth behind their breakup, when James wrote for permission to attend the funeral, he was immediately denied. The politician never courted another woman again and never even seemed to express interest in women at all. However, the tragedy around his former engagement provided him with a solid alibi for his bachelorhood. He often spoke about how his obsession with politics was in part due as a distraction for his great grief. I mean, we're talking 60 years later and he's just like, oh, Anne, I can never get over. I would marry again. But I just can't get over her. This woman who I paid no interest to, no time with her. <laughs> I anything, courted for six months, and I'll just never be the same. My life was destroyed. <laughs> At age 29, Buch- uh, Buchanan became a U.S. representative and a strong supporter of a re- of rising star Andrew Jackson. Jackson has long been a, dar- a darling of the conservative right, though his distant memory is often overshadowed by more recent leaders such as Ronald Reagan or George Bush. However, it was Jackson's fierce beliefs around the sovereignty of states that partially supported his cruel order to enslave and forcibly remove native tribes to uninhabited territories. This action is known today as the Trail of Tears and resulted in the death of 3,000 to 4,000 indigenous people. Jackson's states' rights mentality heavily influenced young Buchanan, who served as an ambassador to Russia during Old Hickory's administration. Shortly after James completed his tenure and returned to the States, he ran for the U.S. Senate and won. Even though Buchanan had certain... Oh, so one thing about Jackson. So Jackson, this is the 1830s. Mm-hmm. And you are starting to have the conversation of state rights. And this is exactly like... I wanna, I'm trying to think of how to correlate this with the, uh, the, the current Trump publicans of this idea that you have to have some kind of buzz phrase. Mm-hmm. And so, and for the right at this time, it was states' rights. We're not talking about slavery, and we're not talking about abuse to indigenous people, and we're not talking about all the Mexicans that were killed at the mm-hmm. border. We're talking about states' rights. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's not any of that other stuff. It's states' rights. And that's the same thing that you're hearing today where, you know, people, like, we even hear the states' rights argument today, but that argument of, I, I'm not trying to control anybody. I'm just saying that we should be able to make decisions here at our home. Mm-hmm. I love the states' rights argument from the uh, Trump party because they're like, states' rights, but then they're like, well, they held their own elections over there, and I just don't think that they did it right. Exactly. 
<laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyways, but Jackson in the 1830s, so this is when that argument begins to come up. And this is when the issue of slavery really begins to rise. And this is when people start to say, hey, are we going to do anything about mm-hmm. that? So Jackson's time in the 1830s and his influence on Buchanan was huge. And again, we're about 30 years out from the Civil War at this point. Mm-hmm. Even though Buchanan had certainly found inspiration in Andrew Jackson's leadership, it was another man who really changed the young politician. According to biographer Thomas Balsersky, his book is referenced at the end, James entered politics as anti-war, pro-bank, pro-tariff. Very similar to the Democrat stance today, though the terminologies have shifted. Tariffs are placed on imports and exports and essentially tax the rich. The banking argument was loosely translated to regulations on large institutions large institutions today. A central bank prohibited people from running endlessly on their credit, an issue far more dangerous when done by a wealthy merchant than done by a small-time farmer. The rampant misuse of the credit bubble had allowed for grave abuse of the nation's finances. I mean, it's the same thing when we, we deregulated the banks, we deregulated businesses. And fucking everything crashed. And everything crashed. This was a similar problem, so they didn't really have a central bank at this, pro- at this point. There had been the first bank instituted by Alexander Hamilton, which didn't have as much power. People wanted to institute the second bank which would just it would basically do that you can't just say that you have credit you can't Mm -hmm. just be like oh yes i'm wealthy look at all the things i have and but you really don't have any money you just have a name right and that's what they were trying to do they were trying to put more regulations but states rights activists were saying you can't do that you you can't tell us what we can do we can Mm -hmm. decide if we want to trust this guy or not if i want to trust this guy and give him credit i can trust this guy and give him credit Mm -hmm. so we we America, we're banking, pun intended, on Mm. what we might have and not what we actually had as a collective. Jackson's Democrats opposed all of this supposedly needless government oversight, while Henry Clay's Whig Party endorsed more restraint and accountability of businesses and private banks. And wasn't this around the time that uh, we, like, harvested all of the gold from citizens? Uh, I'm not sure. One of the presidents, I I feel like it was around this time period, they, like, all citizens had to turn their actual gold in and they were given money for it. Oh. And the president like hoarded all of the nation's gold and like put it in a reserve so that way we could say that we had money because we had all the gold. And we used gold to as a comparison against other countries to say we have this much gold you have that much gold we're wealthier than you. Yeah. And it was all not all of it was gold but like from the um citizens but like they literally were like you have gold necklaces this and that you have to turn it in if it's pure gold you turn it in we give you like uh, x amount of dollars based on how much gold you turn in i feel like that might have been a little later on because this was right before the real expansion to the west it might have been a little later on but it was i feel like it's around i feel like it was in the 1800s maybe it was a little later okay uh these were the what were the beliefs yep. The, the ones that we just talked about. Pro-tariff, oh. pro-bank, and anti-war. So the pro-tariff, pro-bank, and anti-war beliefs were um, beliefs of James Buchanan in 1834 when he entered the U.S. Senate. It was here that he would meet Alabama Senator William Rufus King. King was just a few years older than James, and the two men couldn't be more different. Williams was fiercely against strong government control and pro-war. Though James certainly supported Jackson, it was William who really began to shift Buchanan's political views, including how James viewed slavery, a growing issue of the day. Buchanan had always been opposed to slavery on a personal level, though it does not seem to be something that caused him any distress. He held the idea of live and let live, which might include a black man living free or a white man owning a dozen black people. He once... He once 
bought his sisters two slaves and then freed them, but only because he had run on an anti-slavery platform and realized it would look bad if his sister owned slaves. Yeah. Uh, I bought these for my sister so they could take care of their house, but you know what? You're free. Go ahead and do your thing. Well, no, what I meant by that is he found out his sister had, I should have clarified it in there, his sister had and her, her minister husband owned two slaves in Virginia, and he found out about it. He's like, oh, shit, I've been telling everybody I'm so anti-slavery, and people are going to be like, well, your sister owns two slaves. And so he went and he bought the slaves in freedom. So it was never like, again, he was never like, I'm really, I just think this is a horrible thing. He was just like, yeah, it kind of makes me squeamish and I don't like it. So I'm not, I'm not against it. But you do it, you and I'm going to do me. Exactly. It was like, it's, is it, a, is it morally wrong? No, I just, I would It's always it. funny how conservatives can think of things like that, but then they can't think of things like that for like queer rights, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. oh, you do what you got to do. Uh, my friend owns a few black slaves, but I don't want to know anything about you and your gay lover. <laughs> exactly. William King had the same sentiments as James, only he held the deadly southern romanticism of slavery. Sure, he saw slavery as barbaric and uncivilized as a barbaric and uncivilized institution, but he but did he care that people were suffering? Did King see BIPOC, b- black, indigenous and people of color? Did he see those people as human beings or at least human beings equal to himself? Absolutely not. William Rufus King couldn't care less when or how slavery died out, and it was far more important to him to fight against government restraints than to advocate for freedom and equality for all. And his beliefs were strongly influential on young Buchanan, who seemed smitten with the Southern Senator. The two moved into the same boarding house and would continue living together for the next 15 years. Now, (laughs) I'm just going to say... I live exclusively with another male. Your friend. Your special friend? Yes, my special senator friend. (laughs) And a lot of things go on behind those doors. And uh, I'm just going to assume a lot of things were going on behind those doors, Just a couple boys roughhousing. That's That's all they were doing. They were passing legislation. Now, if they were passing that legislation naked or not, that's none of our business. Joe, no. We can't say for sure, so they definitely weren't gay. They were just roommates. They were just good roommates and living together as two guys often do. Yes, hello. Roommates often live together. I lived with a lot of roommates. Mm -hmm. They share a a bed together. That's normal for the time. You know, it's cheaper to get a one-bedroom. It's true. We're trying, to, we're trying to save on rent, mom. Okay. And do we only have one bed? Yes. Okay. And do, do we, we share, share underwear? Yes. Yes. Okay. But like, we are conservatives. We are keeping our money. Do I have in. enormous amounts of money and could easily buy my own house? Yes. Am I going to? No. I'm just going to sit here and there's nothing gay about it. And I would. Mom, you don't understand. It's because Anne died. 20 years ago he just supports me okay when i cry at night he just holds me and he makes her up okay because i miss Anne so much <laughs> and with that we will be right back and we are back and when we left we were talking about how james had been hope- heartbroken over the death of his fiance, and how him and another person were having anal sex on the regular. <laughs> no, no, how he and his good friend William were sharing a room together. You know what? They didn't have lube back then. Were they using like spit, spit, and butter? And butter? Yeah, probably yeah. oil. No, they weren't doing anything because 
James could never get over the death of Anne. That yeah, girl that he true. dated for six months who killed herself after they broke up. You go to the Because local, he wouldn't pay attention to her. <laughs> you go to the local grocery store, you're like, man, Buchanan has just been racking up his credit. You know, we're <laughs> we're keeping that credit and he just uses so much butter. They I don't know how <laughs> they're don't not know what they're doing. I don't know how they're not fatter. They eat so much butter, I never sold this much butter to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and look at them. Lean as a fiddle. Um <laughs> So William and James drew closer in their political views, or that is, James began to shift towards those views held by his special friend. It seems they drew closer in other ways as well and were quite a power couple. Both men were sharp and witty and had an air of effeminacy that drew often drew criticism and rumors. Andrew Jackson called the young supporters Aunt Fancy and Miss Nancy. The word Nancy has long been a colloquial term for gay. Political rival Aaron V. Brown was known to mockingly call William King James's wife or his better half. He even wrote to First Lady Sarah Polk and derided the two, stating, Miss Buchanan looks Mr. Buchanan looks gloomily and dissatisfied, and so does his better half. The names and rumors were constant for both men who remained staunch bachelors their entire lives. I think the thing about this is, yes, we when we go through history, we can find lots of different like letters written, but you don't often find so many people talking about how fancy these boys are, mm-hmm. or, or calling them wise and making these jokes. That's not common. Like, yes, right. we know about. It's usually underground. Like, right. You find these letters fucking th- two hundred years later. Years and, you're like, and years oh, later, and like, oh my god, what was going on? Like Alexander Hamilton, Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Nobody was really spreading rumors then about these mm-hmm. men and what they may have been doing. This was like the talk of the town. Everybody knew it, but they Mm -hmm. weren't going to talk about it. Right. Just like James, William had his own story of the grief of a great love lost, though his tale did not ring nearly as true as that of James Buchanan. King claimed that while visiting Prussia, he had fallen in love with Princess Charlotte, who was betrothed to the Tsar of Russia. Shortly before his departure, he risked an impassioned kiss upon her hand, recounted as a daring and risky move by his family, who clearly are not trying to distract from any other grand love stories in history. But it was enough to get King off the hook for marriage, and whenever necessary, he would bemoan the pain of unrequited love. In the meantime, William and James were perfectly happy together, dueling out the battles of Washington and turning a blind eye to the horrors of slavery. He just, you don't understand. He was really into this princess that he met for 30 seconds. And he, above all odds, dared. And he kissed her on the hand before she was betrothed to the Tsar of Russia. You Which just proves, don't, you would never understand how devastating that could exactly. be to a good straight boy from the South. And the fact that he never dated another single woman in his life before or after means nothing. No. Once he found Charlotte. This was love at first sight. You don't understand. The princess of Prussia (laughs) was meant to be with him. And so naturally him and James have to sit in that boarding house night after night. So distraught. With all of their fucking butter. Sticks of butter (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) Blocks and blocks and just so broken hearted. Naturally, they're making cookies with all that butter to cover up the pain of the great losses of their life. (laughs) I can't believe he got away with that lie, though, because you had to have some reason why you were a bachelor. Everybody Mm -hmm. had to have the tragic story. I just can't believe that William King was just like, well, I kissed the hand of the princess of Prussia once, and that was it for me. (laughs) I can't. 
my dick has been flaccid ever since. <laughs> you don't I understand. I can never find another woman to measure up. And people are like, oh my, my, how could, how? All right. So, <clears throat> during the first half of the 19th century, an ideology was sweeping the nation and heavily affecting the, rationaliz the rationalization around slavery, racism, and abuse of the natives. This concept was known as manifest destiny and is still taught and is still taught in many far-right Christian groups today. In fact, I actually learned this in school, my Christian school that I went to. Though it's often used under different terminologies. Essentially, the idea among many on the right was that God had ordained white Christians to spread across the entire North American continent. The first step in this move was to conquer and save the West. If this meant killing indigenous people who defied them or the Mexicans in the South who refused to submit, then that was God's plan. There were no set of ethics or morals that guided this kind of thinking, but the idea was never meant to hold legitimate reasoning. Instead, it helped ease the cognitive dissonance of plantation owners, those, claimed, those who claimed the government was oppressing them even as they physically enslaved dozens and hundreds of black people as their property. It also allowed the young farmer to justify stealing land from natives and the cowboy to remorselessly kill Mexicans from their homes. Now, you know, you just don't understand Christianity has never done anything in the name of violence. Absolutely not. No, we never. are just taking what God has this set out for us. You wouldn't understand because you are just a heathen, if and God has not just, spoke If they would have just you. left on their own, um, hello. <laughs> um, the fact God that we, already we, said the land was ours, so <laughs> clearly they were like. Um, they were squatters. Uh -huh. God told us that the West belonged to us. You, These people who were there first, God told them they needed to move out and they didn't listen. And they so did like the good landlords we are, we slaughtered them or enslaved them. And we chased them all the way to the ocean where they had no other place that they possibly could go. And... Do you, can you believe that they didn't just throw themselves into the ocean? How dare they? God told us this <laughs> land was ours. Exactly. Go ahead, you. Manifest destiny has continued to be a theme in America and screams through the phrase, make America great again. Though the words seem benign and harmless, the ideology built around them has devastated our country. White Christianity is again seen as the savior of our country, even though most have no desire to be saved in this manner. And just as Donald Trump harnessed this energy, so did James Buchanan a century and a half before him. In late 1844, James began to silently inquire into his chances of securing a nomination for the presidency. He and William intended to run together as president and vice president. However, the nomination went to James Polk. All that butter in the White House. We never oh, got to use it. All the floors would forever be slippery. You're trying to hold on to the handrail to go down the stairs, and there's just a fucking butter there still. You're going down. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how they were going to explain that one. But like, well, typically, so the the president and vice president don't share the same bed chamber. What are they doing this administration? Well, how are we supposed to get shit passed? You just don't exactly. understand. We got to do a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. Further heartbreak was on the way when William was sent to France as an ambassador. And for the first time in a decade, the two were separated for longer than just a few weeks. James wrote to his friend, Miss Cornelia Roosevelt. I am now solitary and alone, having no companion in the house with me. I have gone a-wooing to several gentlemen, but have not succeeded with any one of them. I feel that it is not good for man to be alone, and should not be astonished to find myself married to some old maid who can nurse me when I am sick, provide good dinners for me when I am well, and not expect from me any very ardent or romantic affection. Well, I mean, 
I don't know how much more clearly you can say that I'm gay. No, I don't. I, like, that's, where, are you, where are you possibly getting gay out of that, Paul? No, you're they, reading uh, too much into it. You just it. don't understand. Uh, he needs to woo another gentleman so that he has someone to play cards with at night yeah, and smoke his a cigars friend. with. Clearly, that's what it's saying. Um, yes, and the fact that though he can't have any romantic relationship with this woman because he is just so devastated about his six-month courtship from before. I mean, he's he's in his mid-thirties. How how um like sexually active are they expecting him to be? You know, I feel about that time he's probably about done you know yeah as, most as, people are done about as that time. most men in their 30s <laughs> typically are 30s and 40s are definitely declining <laughs> the loneliness of buchanan would soon be again be replaced with political ambition in 1845 james became secretary of state and together with president james polk the two manifested their destiny across the country they negotiated and took the areas now known as texas colorado utah arizona new mexico and california James again sought out a presidential nomination and again was dismissed by his party. When the Whigs took the presidency, Buchanan retired briefly to the country and hung a large portrait of William in his Wheatland estate. That good friend of his. I have a giant portrait of you as my best friend on my wall, too. Naturally, as all best friends do. You know, like 80 by 80, just a huge. The moment you walk in, they're like, oh, oh, is that William King? Yes, my best friend, my good friend. <laughs> William returned home, and for the next few years, the two men saw each other occasionally at James' home. However, King had won the position of president pro tempore. Uh, replacement of the vice president should he be removed or ascend to the presidency and his political career was taking off like never before in 1850 william helped sponsor and support the compromise of 1850 which was in 1850 this was the result of buchanan's work while secretary of state the newly acquired territories were in a bitter battle over states rights abolitionists abolitionists insisted that slavery should not be legal in the new states while states rights activists believed that they should be up to the individual territories to decide there were no there were also disagreements about fugitive state laws whether an escaped slave should be returned to their owner and texas was insisting on taking more land from the mexicans than had been previously negotiated one shocking provision in the bill was the gag rule, which prohibited debates specifically around abolishing slavery. King, who was wholeheartedly in support of the compromise, while Buchanan mostly supported the bill. It is noteworthy that the Compromise of 1850 is often credited with laying the groundwork for making the Civil War inevitable. Yeah, and the reason they were so uh, fighting over like, mm -hmm. should new states be slave states or should new slave states not, or should new states not be slave states? It was one, partly because people were like, fuck that, we don't need more slavery in this country. Yeah. But two, it was because how our government works, they knew if more states were permitted as slave states, the South would then have more say in the government mm -hmm. and slave states would have more uh, ability to pass bills and yeah. laws um, that would continue to extend slavery. But by making sure that there was sort of a balance, they could say, okay, well, we have equal representation among slave states and non-slave states. Yeah. Well, there was also the idea of like, I mean, so this kind of proves, so the, the big th problem that Buchanan had was he didn't like the gag rule. He didn't like the fact that you couldn't even talk about abolishing mm -hmm. slavery, whereas King, who basically helped draft the bill, was very much all for that, mm -hmm. which I don't know how you're going to talk about how you have a balanced approach to things and you're like, but you can't even talk about it. Also... It just shows the hypocrisy of both of them to say that they're neutral on this, but they're basically you, making sure that it maintains, yeah, stays yeah. in power. Stays if in you place. truly believe that slavery is going to die out, then why are you putting provisions in place to make sure that it doesn't die out? Mm -hmm. You're trying to pretend that you're not pro-slavery, but you are pro-slavery. Just like the founding fathers who said we're for equality for all, 
but we're gonna make sure that we put in a clause that says not slaves and right. not women and not anyone else really. Right. You Just know. the people that are exactly like us. Exactly. It's you. James refu- James's refusal to denounce slavery earned him his nickname Doughface, um, which was a slang term for a northern gentleman with southern principle principles. He was quickly gathering a deep disdain for his rivals who saw his lack of a stance on slavery as cowardly. However, the majority who still believed they would they could escape war saw his neutral stance as the answer to their problems. While Buchanan continued to build his support for a presidential run, Williams would manage to get to the White House before him, though his reign was not long. When President Zachary Taylor died of pneumonia, Vice President Fillmore took the helm and William King was second in command. In 1952, he ran on the ticket with Franklin Pierce and they won the election. For one month in 1953, William Rufus King was Vice President of the United States, but he contracted tuberculosis and died in April of 1853 at the age of 67. You really got fucking cut short there. They were like, "Mm, you almost got there, bye-bye. Yeah, yeah, uh, so close, but not quite. Uh, Really, I mean... We, I don't know enough about the vice presidents to know, but he could have also been our first gay vice president. So, like, yeah, that's true. Back to back. I mean, a horrible person, but you know, hey, <laughs> that's still something. something. We don't know what grief James may have experienced during this time. William King's letters were all destroyed either through the looting of the Civil War, his home was in Selma, Alabama, he actually helped to found the city of Selma, or through his own family's desire to protect his legacy. And when I say he helped to found Selma, that's what records state, and I do think he did help, mm-hmm. but that's also records that are really um, erasing all the black people that right. helped to found a lot of uh, areas in, in Alabama. <clears throat> Or through his own family's desire to protect his legacy, so his niece went through and destroyed a lot of his letters. For his mm-hmm. part, Buchanan saved every letter he ever received and logged the and logged their receipt in a notebook. Upon his death, his niece destroyed several letters between King and Buchanan. While we can never know the contents, destroying the historical evidence of a president's correspondence speaks volumes about the fact that there was something to hide. As James most likely grieved, the country continued to unravel. Threats of succession were openly made in Congress. Slave uprisings caught the nation's attention. Speakers such as Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth called for revolution. The nation awaited a leader to step in and heal them. James Buchanan would be no such leader. And that's why um, at the start of this episode, or maybe last episode, I talked about I hope Biden gets in there and fucking does something, because Mm -hmm. if not... This yeah, is what's going to happen. He just stepped in with this very much like, let's just wait and see what happens. And that's why I really was like, we need somebody like Warren or Bi- uh, Bernie in there because yeah. we need somebody in there who's going to fucking change shit. Because if there's no change, if we're just like, let's all come together and hold hands and put the last four <laughs> years under the rug and just let that little uh, pile under the rug build and build and build, it's going to fucking explode and we're going to be in an, a real bad situation. Yep. After winning the election of 1856, James Buchanan became the 15th president of the United States in 1857. Two days after his appointment, Buchanan began to interfere with the Dred Scott ruling. The infamous case was based on two slaves who had been um, bought in a slave state and their owner had moved with them to a free state. The slaves, Dred and Harriet Scott, sued the state for their freedom, claiming that since they were in a free state, they should be freed. James could care less about the outcome of the enslaved couple. He was concerned about the precedence of the ruling. The new presidential, the new president pressured the ruling judge to expand his ruling so that it would apply to the new territories. He hoped that this would settle concerns by, slaves owner, by slave owners who feared their slaves would escape to the territories and be legally prohibited from retrieving them. Buchanan's pressure worked and the Dred Scott decision was hailed as a triumph in the South. Another domino in democracy fell. 
So yeah, just clear, clarifying. So basically it was this idea and I, it wasn't just about the fugitive slaves. It was about if you move to this new territory, do you get to keep your slaves? Mm-hmm. And originally this was going to be a very narrow ruling that was specifically about this, but you can and pressure the judge to say, look, no, expand it more so we can use that to say, yeah, fine. If you, if you move to the territory, even if it's a free territory, you can bring your, your slaves with you and they won't be free. Mm -hmm. So again, you're talking out both sides of your mouth, man. You're saying that you're not pro slavery, but you just continually support slavery Mm -hmm. over and over. That same year, James chose to side with slave owners in making Kansas a pro-slavery state. He could have rejected proposed constitution that allowed slavery, but in keep, but in keeping with his idea of not my business, not my problem, he allowed the Lecompton Constitution to pass. It was only saved when the people of Kansas rejected the corrupt document. So Kansas, bleeding Kansas, is split into two facts factors, and it's split into the the uh, town of Lecompte and. Another very notorious one, I cannot mm-hmm. think, but another part of Kansas. And, and basically one town or, or area was very anti-slavery and one area was very pro-slavery. And the people of Lee Compt created this constitution, kind of forced it on Buchanan, not that he couldn't have said no, and pushed him to, to accept it instead of waiting for both people, for the people of Kansas to come together and ratify their own constitution. Mm-hmm. So he passes it, but then when it went to approval, the people of Kansas rejected it. Again and again, throughout his single-term presidency, James Buchanan chose to side with slave slave owners, all the while claiming he was neutral. He also chose to side again, lending relief during the Great Panic of 1857. There were many reasons behind the collapse, and no doubt the world's understanding that civil war was coming to America did not help. When 1,400 small banks and 5,000 businesses went under, James called for reform, not relief. He didn't want to bail out those in need. What would that teach them? Instead, he opted to sit back as unemployment in large cities grew. The North was especially hit hard as international trading had declined while the South was doing well with its local agriculture, harvested and maintained for free, of course, through slave labor. Yeah, so again, it's just not uh, not the same as a uh, global pandemic, but the the idea of like all these people are unemployed. I mean, unemployment was was skyrocketing, mm-hmm. and people are saying we need help. We need, and he's like, ah, yeah, we don't want you'll figure help. it out. You did this to yourselves. We need to change our policies, okay? But we need help right now. Right, not about that. About the only thing James Buchanan actually did was increase the nation's debt and fight with Mormons in the Utah War. The president was offended by their polygamous ways and considering the child brides that Brigham Young took for himself, it was a legitimate concern. Yet though he didn't mind picking a fight with religious zealots in a desert when states needed when states began to succeed from the union upon Lincoln's election when Buchanan was at a loss. He did secretly try to get Lincoln. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I wrote there. He did secretly try to get Lincoln to change his mind about slavery, but the president-elect would not be moved. James Buchanan left the White House in disgrace, but maintained, history will vindicate my memory. Yeah. Just <laughs> look where you're at, buddy. Trump's joining your list. Yeah. You and Trump will be buddy-buddy. Yet history did not vindicate his memory. For more than 150 years, James Buchanan has consistently been ranked the worst president in U.S. history, and only time will tell if he will finally be replaced by the piece of shit Donald Trump. (laughs) A little ad-libbed there. The only other thing he is known for is possibly being our first gay president, and unfortunately, records to further prove this theory have been destroyed. It is statistically nearly certain that we have had a gay president in our history. 
and it is almost just as certain that James Buchanan was this person. All we can hope for now is that another queer president will erase the horrendous legacy of this one. And your recommended resource is Bosom, Bosom Friends, The Intimate World of James Buchanan and William Rufus King by Thomas Balkersky. So, yeah, of all, <laughs> we, the, the only guy that was probably most definitely gay also ended up being a horrible piece of shit. Yep. Um, and uh, there was one, oh yeah, the thing about the Mormons, I, I couldn't get too much into it, but there's a, uh, oh, it's under, oh my God, I, I I can't remember it. There's a really great resource about the Mormon in the Utah Wars. It was a lot more deep than that. I mean, the Mormons were basically taking over. This is how they took over Utah and mm-hmm. Salt Lake City in particular. And so James Buchanan went out there to kind of put down their insurrection, but even that he didn't do very well at. Mm-hmm. And, um, and th- there was just, it's just a mess, but you know. Uh, but then when seven states succeeded from the union, he's like, I don't know what to do, guys. I'm well, I'm leaving, so I guess the new guy like, can well, deal with it. This is on you, buddy. Um, <laughs> I definitely am not uh, even partially responsible for the fact that our country is literally splitting. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this is because you're coming in, so you can figure it out. You're the one who did this, honestly. I did a great job sitting here for four years doing fucking shit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to stare at the picture of William and continue to mourn my dear Beth. I mean, Anne, whatever her name mm-hmm. was. And yeah. that's it. I literally read something about how this guy like literally just did nothing. He, he was just nothing. like he just like sat at the he desk. He's did. like that's it. <laughs> Every day, what is it? There's like something like he's just sitting at the desk pretending to type. Not that they mm-hmm. typed, pretending to write things. Yeah. And they're like, uh, so do you want me to send out a letter or something? Um, yes, I've just been very busy, <laughs> and I don't have time to talk to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know what's actually uh, real quick before we end this episode? I just thought about. I was like, well, Vi- well, Mike Pence won't run for president. Like he was vice president, whatever. But then I'm literally sitting here as Joe Biden is the president, and he was Obama's vice president. So it's very possible. Oh, I don't know why in my mind it was such a distant. Like, very that very common happen. for vice presidents. Richard Nixon was a mm-hmm. vice president. I don't know why in my mind it was just like he was gone and done. I really hope Pence doesn't become president because some scary things could happen. He's that's certainly when this, going that's to. That's when the civil war would start. He's, yeah, he's certainly going to try to run. So it all depends. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But at least tonight, enjoy yourself responsibly, please. Yes. But in, um, in, enjoy yourself. You know, I've been, uh, I don't know why I have to start talking now, but I joined <laughs> Noom. I'm sure you've seen commercials about it. It's like yep. a weight loss app. Yeah. Um, I've been jo- joining it and I've been really uh, changing how I eat and things. And once before when I would do like weight loss or like diet, I would completely cut out like nothing. No dessert, no this, no that thing. Obviously that doesn't work because my weight has gone up and down. Yeah. Um, my entire life but this kind of talks about like changing your thoughts on food completely unrelated don't know why i'm talking about this now but uh yeah so on election night i'm gonna allow myself to have a little dessert and maybe like a little cocktail and good enjoy that for the night and it'll be a nice way to start a new presidency and hopefully biden knows he has to get some shit done yeah. Other than just be the guy who covers things up and tries to put a Band-Aid. Yeah. We need to rip the Band-Aid off and expose the ugly and deal with deep, it. Deep, deep. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, I hope. And if not, as they say, may God help us all. Um, <laughs> we will either be fleeing or the head of a... Um, um, uh, some a battalion somewhere, yeah. a, a battalion that's like an underground rebel force. Yeah, yes, exactly. One of the two. <laughs> so stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. And a little succulent surface. Resist the oppressors, our proud comocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus with butter. Or don't. And Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter.
Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.